Thank you, John. Good morning. Great to be together today. Wow, it's cold outside. It's warm in here. And not just because we got heat on, but because of who we are and what we're here for. So good to be together. If you're visiting with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. And we pray that it'll be a great blessing for you and you're already a great blessing for us. And if you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us say or teach, please ask. We keep saying we just want to be the church of the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We do hope you will come back and be with us as you have the opportunity on a regular basis. This morning, I want to bring the series to a close that I began several weeks ago, basically talking about our need to come to God through Jesus Christ and our need to examine our spiritual lives along the way. So we began talking about, you know, are you neglecting your salvation? And then we went on and talked about how we need to pay attention to what, what our relationship with God is and to live within that relationship that he wants us to live. And ultimately, we've got to make up our minds one way or another. We're either going to walk with God or we're going to walk away from God. There's no in-between. There's no third alternative or middle ground. We're either with him or we're not with him. And to not be with him means we're walking with the devil, or at least under his influence. Now, that would bother a lot of people because they want a middle ground. They want to be able to say, well, I I love the Lord, and I certainly am not somebody who's going to walk with the devil, but I'm not ready to make that commitment yet. And so they want some kind of middle ground of non-commitment, but there is none. God's word tells us, God tells us, Jesus tells us, the inspired writers tell us, we're either walking with God or we're walking away from God. And we need to come to that realization. Ultimately, this last lesson in this series, we're going to talk about God's love and your response. God's love, your response. When we think about what God has done for us, he has demonstrated his love through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, we are called to salvation by the gospel. The gospel message is that message that Jesus brought from the throne room in heaven to us, to mankind in every generation. Now, I realize he did that almost 2,000 years ago, but we have it written down for us right now in God's word, in the scriptures, in the Bible. And so God sent his son to bring that gospel message of his love and his offer, his opportunity that he extends to us to be forgiven of our sins and to be saved. Now again, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Both sides of the ledger, both ends of the spectrum in that one short verse, if we're going to live in sinfulness. And as Mark brought out in class this morning, there's what we would call sins of omission as well as sins of commission. And so we, we quickly relate to sins of commission. We do something we know that is sinful. But sins of omission, as he brought out, is we don't do what God has instructed us to do. And that's just as sinful. So we have to make up our minds. God has already demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus into this world to go to that cross and to die to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Now, what has been your response 
to God's love. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, as I've said a number of times, perhaps the most familiar, often quoted verse of scripture in the entire Bible, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you that much that he sent his son to die for you, literally to hang on that cross and in a barbaric way to be executed over a long period of time, hours, dying slowly so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you could have the opportunity to come to God through Christ for forgiveness. Paul goes into more detail in, John, in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. He really helps us to see more of the depths of our need for God to have sent Jesus and for Jesus to have loved us enough to go to that cross to die for us. He said, beginning with verse 6, Romans chapter 5, when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, the ungodly. Now, when we recognize what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, he said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means every single one of us who is capable of understanding the reality, the principle of sin versus the principle of faithfulness to God, obedience to him. So Christ died for the ungodly, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine that. Not because we were worthy, not because we were such great people, not because we were deserving of his death on the cross on our behalf, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, enemies of God because of our sin, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled, brought back into a right relationship to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now Paul's talking to Christians here primarily, but the, the principle applies to everybody who has not yet become a true Christian. Not just saying I believe in God and I believe in Christ, but having been baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. And that's how we tap into that blood that he shed on the cross that was shed to cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. And so Paul speaks in the past tense when he says, we were reconciled to God because he's writing this primarily to Christians initially. But we, if we have not yet become true Christians, if we have not yet been baptized into Christ, we want to know that we can be reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with God because of the blood shed on the cross and because of our not just saying, I love God and I believe in Jesus, but because we believe so much, we love so much, I'm coming to you in obedience, in surrender. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, said in John chapter 15 and verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
The apostles did not know that at that time. They were the ones who were there with him on that particular occasion, on that night. They did not know, but Jesus knew when he said this, that the next day he would be laying down his life. For them, for everybody else who was alive at that time in the world, for those who had ever lived before that time but were now dead, and for us, everybody who would live after his crucifixion until he comes again on the final day of judgment. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. We understand the very concept of love, not because we were taught it in school, not even primarily because mama and daddy taught us about love, but it goes all the way back to God's love for us, demonstrated on that cross. 1 John 3 and verse 16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. Do you know anybody else who would lay down their lives for you? He laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We know love because God loved us first. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, John goes on and he says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the substitute for us on that cross. Three people, three men hanging on those crosses on that day on Golgotha. And the one who did not deserve to be there was the one right in the middle, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, one on e the ones on either side were thieves. They were, they were criminals. But he was absolutely pure, absolutely innocent, absolutely righteous. Those standing before the cross down on the grounds ridiculing him and, 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 and you know, uh, castigating him and, and, you know, just demeaning him. They could have been on that cross where he hung. But he was there for those two thieves. He was there for all of those who were enemies of his down on the ground, criticizing him, challenging him, ridiculing him. The one who did not deserve to be on the cross was the one on that middle cross. He died for the ungodly. He died while we were still without strength. He died for those who were his enemies because of sin. God loves us that much, and we learn love through his love for us what he has done for us. And he still demonstrates his love for us through all of the blessings that he bestows upon us. And how we have really focused on those blessings as a people over the last few years because of the situations that have gone on. That loving sacrifice is the basis of the gospel message as Paul laid it out very succinctly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, he said, moreover, brethren, he's writing this to the church in Corinth initially, 
But again, the message on its broader base scale is for everybody. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand and by which also you are saved. The gospel by which you are also saved. That gospel message is the message of salvation that was instigated, formulated from the love of God for us. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now that big word, if, is a conditional word. It holds tremendous meaning. Only two short letters in form, but the sense of it is huge. You learn the gospel, he says, that by that gospel message, you've been saved. You're standing in that gospel message, living the life of a Christian right now. If you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. When we become a Christian, we, we take part, we become a new creation, as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. We have been born again, as Jesus put it, to Nicodemus on that night when Nicodemus came to him under the cover of darkness and started talking to him and questioning him. We're born again from a spiritual perspective. We're made new. We're cleansed. We get a do-over in life. Paul says, in essence, don't having believed in vain, live the life. You've taken up a new lifestyle. Live it to the end. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. And here he lays it out in very succinct form that Christ died for our sins, the death of Christ on the cross, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, the burial of Christ in that tomb after he died on that cross. And that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And all of that was in fulfillment of numerous Old Testament prophecies about the coming savior who he would be and why he would come. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God did that for us. Jesus did that for you and for me. The Hebrews writer put it this way in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning with verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, and unless the Lord comes again first, every single one of us here today will die physically someday. But after this, the judgment. And so physical death is not the end. According to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account of the things done in our body, in our physical lives, whether good or bad. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He's coming back. He died on that cross so that we could have the opportunity. We could take advantage of that sacrifice. The sacrifice made by God's love for you and for me. 
and have our sins forgiven as we're baptized into Christ, his blood cleansing us from the guilt of our sins. And it was a one time for all time sacrifice. Hebrews 7 and verse 27, speaking of Christ who does not need daily as those high priests, the Old Testament high priests of Israel, to offer up sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the people's because even those priests sinned. But Jesus never did, even in human form on this earth. He came to live the perfect life and give us the perfect example of living. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. So we come back to Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter five, beginning uh, 53, beginning with verse four. Surely, prophecy of the coming Savior. He has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. We, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was buried for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You could substitute you and your for those other pronouns, our and we. But the text goes on, beginning with verse six. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. In other words, he died on that cross. Why? For the transgressions of my people, you and me, he was stricken. God's love did that for us. Jesus' love did that for us. And the incredible verse of scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For he, God, made him Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He bore our sins on his physical body as he hung on that cross and died. He bore your sins. Your sins God laid upon him as he hung on that cross. My sins were laid upon him. That's God's love for you. Now, what's your response? God has given us the way to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be saved. What's your response? God's love for you. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that message of salvation written by God's love for you. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. We are called to salvation by that gospel message. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 we are bound to give thanks to God always for, for you, 
brethren, beloved by the, uh, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> called by the gospel. Don't look for some other calling. The gospel of Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, what God's love did for us, what the love of Jesus did for you, that message is the message of salvation written by God's love for you. That's by which you were called. Christ sent the apostles to teach that message of salvation throughout the world for all generations. Mark 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the earth, all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. In Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23, through this message, you can be reconciled to God. You, no matter what you've done. You say, well, I'm bad. God knows it. I've done horrible things. God doesn't want me. Yes, he does. If you'll come to him through Christ. Well, you don't know. God knows. That's why he sent his son to the cross to die for you. For you. Make it personal. To die for you. God knows what you've done. God knows how you've lived. He sent Jesus in love to die for you. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works before they became Christians. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Christ died for you to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If, big word of transition again, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What a message. The gospel of Christ, the power of God to salvation for you, if you will believe and obey which you heard and which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And Paul could relate because he had been an enemy of Christ, an enemy of the church, hunted down Christians, literally, took them into custody, angry, exceedingly enraged against them, tried to compel them to blaspheme the name of Christ, and even voted for their execution on occasions. And yet, even he could become a Christian. Even he could benefit from the blood that his Savior shed on the cross for him. Even he could be reconciled to God. That's God's love. What's your response? In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22, Peter talked about how our natural response to God's love should be our obedience to him in his call through the gospel to come to him through Jesus Christ in the way that he said to come. Since you have purified your souls, listen, in obeying the truth. 
through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's word is the key. How have you responded to his love? As you obey the gospel in baptism, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross will cleanse you of the guilt of your sins. As Peter and the other apostles were teaching a multitude of Jewish men on Pentecost just 10 days after Jesus ascended back to heaven, having arisen from that tomb alive, victorious over death, Peter said, and he, you talk about a strong sermon, read Acts chapter 2. Forceful, direct, to the point, pulled no punches. And in verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And many responded, asking, What shall we do? What shall we do? It's your question today. If you have not done what Peter said in response to their question, what shall you do? What shall you do? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself sent a man, a Christian man named Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus, that enemy of Christ. Teach him the gospel. And he came to Saul and said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And that's the same question for you today and for everybody else who has not responded in that act of obedience. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. It is at that point that the blood of Christ shed on that cross for you cleanses you of the guilt of your sins. In Acts 22 and verse 16, Acts 2 and verse 38, Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Do you believe with all of your heart? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, King James Version, the like figure is speaking about water. He's talking about Noah and his family being saved by water as it lift, the waters lifted up the ark in which God was sparing them. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why are you waiting? Galatians 3 and verse 27. Paul said, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You want to be in Christ. That's where all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are bestowed upon you in Christ, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. How do we get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. Why are you waiting? When we look at Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, reading down through verse 5, 
We see that on a spiritual level, as we're baptized into Christ, we are reenacting on a spiritual level the physical death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As we've already read in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. He literally died on that cross. He literally was buried in the tomb. He literally arose from the dead. And in baptism, Paul says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? As we're baptized into Christ, we died of that old life of sin. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And that's what baptism is. It is a burial in the water. Not a sprinkling, not a pouring, not rubbing some water on somebody's forehead. A burial in the water. He was buried in that tomb. We're buried with him in the waters of baptism. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, victorious over death, risen, we were dead in our sins. Romans 6 and verse 23. But as we're buried with him in baptism, the blood that is shed on the cross cleanses us of the guilt of our sins. And we're raised up to walk in newness of life. In newness of life. A new person. Forgiven. Redeemed. Saved in Christ. For if we have been united together with it, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Like being resurrected from a grave as we come up out of the water. Reborn spiritually. Brought to life. Why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Be born again. Be made new. Be forgiven. Be saved. Come into Christ. God has demonstrated his love for you in an awesome way through Christ. Bringing the gospel and putting it into effect through his death on the cross. God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How have you responded to God's love for you? How have you responded? Jesus said the natural response is to love God back. But not just saying words, I love you God. But demonstrating it through our new life. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. He commands you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. To be baptized into him. John 14 and verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Are you living by his teachings? Are you living by his teachings? To not obey is to turn your back on God's love for you. And you can say the words all you want. I love God, I love God, I love God. But to not obey is to turn your back on his love for you. What he has done for you in love. And the consequences are too terrible to contemplate. 
They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Romans 10 and verse 16. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins first with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What do you think? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. The Lord's coming back on that final day of judgment. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ have not been baptized into him for the remission of their sins, have not been born again through baptism who have not been redeemed through the blood of Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. So what do you think? Why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Or do you need the prayers of the church? You can step forward either need in your life and we're ready to help you this morning. If you need to talk, if you need to pray, if you need to study, step forward and let us know. And we're here to help. Why are you waiting? Right now as we stand together and sing.